everyone to All About Windows Phone podcast and Insight number 116, recording this on Tuesday the 4th of November 2014. We are back on schedule, Rafe Blanford, uh, even though that means it's only five days since the last podcast. Yes, it is. So we're going to have to be a little more creative about some of the things we're talking about. But actually, there's been a few bits of news and Steve and I always manage to uh, end up side chatting about a topic, especially when he's been playing around with the camera phones, which, of course, Steve, um, no surprises anyone has been in the last week. Actually, Steve and I recorded another podcast last night, but it was a, a Symbian-focused one. Actually, it's probably the last of our uh, All About Symbian Insight podcast. So if you want a bit of nostalgia and you're a Symbian owner, or I should probably say an ex-Symbian owner, uh, go and check that out because we run through some of our favourite devices, talk a little bit about Symbian history. Um, anyone who listens to this podcast regularly will know, despite the Windows phone in the name, we do tend to sort of stroll into other areas and reminisce about Symbian generally and sort of talk about iOS and Android on occasion. Generally is how it relates to Windows phone and we kind of like that specialist focus. It allows us to so perhaps, you know, talk in more detail than most other tech podcasts do about Windows phone and the mobile side of Microsoft in particular. And of course, we've seen lots and lots of changes in the last year um, with the sort of Nokia acquisition and the name change that's sort of going on at the moment. But yes, it's welcome to number 116 and it's great to uh, be joined by Steve or other. I should say uh, I'm joining Steve since he always opens a podcast and does a very good job chairing them. <laughs> you did mention strolling it into other areas there and uh, I should mention that the the new toy I've been uh, playing with, albeit for a few days before it goes back, <laughs> is is an iPhone 6 Plus, which I got in because it's so similar in many ways to things like the Lumia 1520 with the camera with the OIS and the, the similar kind of pseudo-fablet form factor. And there are many, many similarities between the two devices. Um, but I, I started doing two camera comparisons in particular, probably a general device comparison. All that's up so far, which I guess is the one we should talk about, is that I've compared the camera, which many people have been branding across the tech world, as the, the best camera phone in the world, the best camera phone ever, um, and then iPhone 6 Plus. I said, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I, I seem to remember the Lumia 1020 being pretty good. So I read it through a usual, my usual gamut of a wide range of scenarios, nine different test scenes, which I'm sure you're browsing through as we speak. And it's fairly conclusive that the uh, 1020 walks all over the iPhone 6 Plus. Having said that, the 6 Plus is certainly the, possibly the best of the rest. It, it knocks the uh, Sony Xperia Z3 into a cocked hat, and it's, it's probably better than the Samsung Galaxy S5, like, haven't put the two directly head to head. But certainly in terms of, um, in relation to the Lumias, the Lumia 930 and 1520, which will be our next um, camera comparison on the site. And certainly in comparison to the 1020, I think the, uh, the, the Nokia, I guess we should say Microsoft now, but the Nokia designed uh, 1020 still reigns supreme, Rafe. It, it does. And I mean, it's not really a surprise here if you talk about the actual physics and the size of the various sensors and optical components concerned. It probably won't really be uh, a surprise that the 1020 walked away with it. I do think Apple deserved an awful lot of credit, though, for uh, creating some of the best image processing algorithms in the business. And that's why for a camera phone that... Uh, essentially is very similar to what you'll get in other flagships when you look at some of the raw components maybe maybe a step above the rest I mean, we can talk about that in more detail but um i actually think it's the software side of things that makes a difference um and the 1020 is actually a little bit behind now doesn't really have the the latest versions of all those imaging algorithms you probably have to look more at a device like the 930 or the the 830 to to get that so the fact it stands up so well is really a, a testament to the fact that nokia have real expertise in that 
area. And if you're if you're going to look at two manufacturers, I still think it's Apple and uh, Nokia now Microsoft that you have to hold up as having that expertise in the image processing. And you can start to talk about um, Samsung and Sony in terms of the actual components that go into it, because actually a lot of the uh, sensors come from those two companies as well as others as well. But it just goes to show that you actually have to get every single component right to create a, a great imaging experience and for me this is actually where the iphone 6 plus probably uh, does better than the 1020 in a number of really key areas one of which is kind of the surrounding software that's partly the, just the advantage that ios has over windows phones in terms of things you can do with the uh, images once you've captured them i, I think um microsoft and, or lumia does a better job with kind of microsoft provided software the whole thing around reframing of things like cinemagraph uh creative studio than apple but of course apple has a much healthier third-party ecosystem yeah. and, it, and it really depends on you know you can look at the pro editing or the kind of uh getting up onto social media and i think the the advantage it tells in in both areas um that said the kind of integration that uh, the lumia devices have and the fact that it you know they have all that stuff out of the box i think perhaps you could give an advantage there and certainly i think the camera app itself is better on the lumia devices uh, the, the sort of the interface and the controls that it offered i mean actually now apple um, is offering a similar level of fine control over you know, be it white balance or exposure or whatever particular setting um, it's going to be a bit subjective something like that um, the other area to talk about, I think, is performance. And that's where the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus also uh, are very, very good indeed. The kind of the shot to shot time, the startup time rather put the 1020 to shame. But then you have to remember that the 1020 is affected device that's, you know, it, you know, quite significantly older. And particularly if you look at the generation of hardware, it's older is arguably two or even three years older than, you know, what you've got in the iPhone 6 Plus. And so the fact it's, it's still cutting it is pretty impressive. If you look at, um, it was, I'd have to say probably something like the 830 or the 930 on the as yet unreleased Lumia camera software that should be coming sometime in the next month or so, um, which is bringing some of the rich capture stuff we talked about in the past, but it's also bringing performance changes. That kind of, um, gap will, will, you know, narrow. But of course, the 1020 isn't getting that. So it's going to be rather laggard in performance terms, you know, pretty much, uh, for the rest of its life. So you then maybe have to make an argument that the 930 and the 830 are the ones that bear comparison with the iPhone 6. And maybe we'll talk about that comparison in in a minute. But uh, I mean, would you say that the 1020 remains the imaging masterclass in terms of its capture abilities, Steve, but perhaps is a little bit let down by both the surrounding software and the performance, which, you know, in, in real world situations when you're trying to capture stuff is actually a really important factor? It depends exactly on what you want to capture. If you're trying, if you're yeah. trying to capture, a, you know, a landscape or a, 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 an old subject that's static, um, that you've got plenty of time, then obviously it's absolutely no problem to use the 1020 and get it lined up. If you're trying to mo- capture fast-moving pets and kids, I'd still argue actually that the Zin and Flash on 1020, although you may have a four-second shot shot time, at least the ones you get will be in crisp and, and in focus, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, not blurred. Um, but yes, I can absolutely see if if you're trying to capture a really fast-moving event and you're you're whizzing round and you're snapping, snap, snap, snap at every single person, maybe at a, a wedding reception or a party, and there's reasonable lighting. Then, yes, obviously, the, I think the iPhone 6 and some of the modern devices do have an edge. But I'm, I'm sorry if you, you take put me in any situation, any event, any venue, and I'll take my 1020 and you can take any other phone in the world and I will 
pretty confident I'll get better photographs than you. <laughs> I'm sorry, the 1020 still rules. Yeah, well, I, I, and I think that's kind of the, the caveat that you're applying there is, um, uh, well, can I call Steve a pro photographer? I mean, I'm, I think I probably can. Experienced. Experienced <laughs> photographer, there you go. But for people who are just picking up and grabbing it and kind of treating it like a, a point and shoot and yeah. sort of waving it all over the place, um, you know, it, I think you, you probably give the advantage to the iPhone. And I'd say the same about the 1020 and say comparing it to the 930 or the 830. One thing I did want to just sort of ask you about, Steve, was um, one of the very few differences between the iPhone 6 Plus and the 6 is the fact that there's optical image stabilization in the iPhone 6 Plus. Do you think that's a, a factor that will affect, affect anyone's purchase or indeed, you know, the quality of what's being captured? It it should do. I mean, the OAS apparently, from what I've read, only kicks in when the light levels are reasonably low. But when those light those levels are low, for example, taking a nice sunset, or as I took just now, a nice dusk scene, I mean, I, as you'd expect, it keeps the image rock solid on the sensor, and you get really crisp results. Whereas you just get a blurry mess on most camera phones that don't have OAS. It seems to be that OAS is now becoming more and more commonplace, and you have to imagine that most of the the top end camera units being manufactured out in the far east. And in China, um, they're actually coming now with OAS as an option and that probably every flagship, every device over about three or four hundred pounds from now on will have OAS in its camera. Uh, and, and it's jolly good to it. It means that the average, the normal, they don't have to be braced like Steve with both wet legs wide apart at right angles, holding it in both hands, a finger and thumb, the pro stance. They don't have to do all that. They can just hold their, their, their phone camera, snap the uh, tap the shutter button or tap the on-screen icon and they'll get a pretty steady shot and i think that's got to be a good thing yeah agreed i think os the most important factor is really it's uh means it's much more forgiving when you do try and capture shots in in low light and when you sort of jerk the camera around and uh, and people say oh but i always hold the camera still it's even minute movements make yeah. a difference and actually it's the minute movements that os can correct if you do insist on swinging the camera around when you're trying <laughs> to capture something os isn't going to be able to to help yeah. you i think the thing to bear in mind of course is that not all os implementations are created equal we've seen that on some of the HTC devices, not sort of measuring up to kind of the extra axes or sensitivity you get on some of the Lumia devices. It, that sort of thing is very difficult to judge. I mean, you can have a look at the internal components. And my understanding is that Apple have chosen a pretty high quality OIS uh, component, but some of the ones that are sort of being built into to modules, uh, understandably, it, it, when it becomes more mass market, it perhaps isn't quite as much attention has been paid to it as when uh, Nokia's it was, was first putting it into the, the camera where it was kind of the key selling point. Now OIS has almost become a, a check feature. I mean, it's kind of much the same happened with something like backside illumination. At one point it was, you'd see BSI mentioned on the these camera specs and anyone else you probably still do but it's become less important and i've no doubt that there are more camera innovations to come and we're we'll you know, can expect to see them i i think still from microsoft you know those imaging engineering teams are still very much in place they always talk about having something around the corner um of course the software remains all important and actually that's kind of the next big update we talked about uh, Lumia camera mentioned rich capture and uh, moments being able to take uh, stills out of 4K video and all that kind of thing. And equally where the way HTC is pushing uh, Zoe and sort of Apple has updated some of its uh, camera software as well in iOS 8. And so that dual software hard thing is still pushing imaging. And despite the fact, I think we are now at the point where almost all high-end camera 
phones are, are kind of good enough in terms of capture for most usage. But there are still going to be differences and actually there's still going to be room for improvement and it'll be about being able to take a good photo in a wider range of conditions as well as do more interesting things with the photos or more flexible capture. I think particularly with what uh, Lumia Camera brings in terms of that rich capture, the idea that you can capture an HDR photo and kind of edit it afterwards as a step on from the HDR we've had to this point and certainly the idea you know, not having to think about putting the flash on and off because it'll take one with it and one without. There's definitely a lot more to come in, in that kind of area. Um, I actually, give some credit to HTC, the way that they've um, enabled you to kind of take photos as you're recording video or indeed take photos out of video, something that uh, the Lumia camera will now be doing. So plenty more to do there, but uh, that's maybe enough talking about camera apart from uh, one slinky link to the next link, which is about the sort of branding changes that are continuing to go on in the Windows Phone world, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just just staying on on the Lumia camera theme before we go into the generic apps, um, just to note that we'd all been waiting for Lumia camera as in this new, completely rewritten camera app that had faster startup and faster shot shot times coming to the 930, the 1520, the icon etc. And I think possibly to the 830 as well. It will rely on Lumia Denim though. And what Microsoft has done so far, today, if you look at the story on the site today, they've, re- they've released uh, an update to Nokia camera, renaming it just to Lumia camera. That's all that's different. It's just simply a name change. And this is paving the ground for, at some point in the next presumably week or so, for those devices with Lumia Denim on board, uh, the update will appear and that will be the real Lumia camera, the new code with all the speed improvements. What I'm expecting, Rafe, is that uh, the, the devices like the 930 and 1520 still on Lumia Cyan um, they won't see the update until they get the official denim upgrade. There's a possibility, there's an outside possibility that those people on the developer preview program will have enough underlying hooks that it will actually appear. But I, I suspect it may have to wait for the official uh, denim rollout. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. I mean, in terms of the way these things work is, of course, that camera software will be looking for checks in the underlying code. And in some cases, actually, the uh, camera app will be updated um, but because the underlying software isn't there, it won't sort of display the new functionality. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work this time round. Um, there's a possibility that the 830 will get this sort of a little bit earlier than the other devices because obviously it's um, been released a little bit more recently. Uh, the thing with that, though, is it's not kind of getting the full experience because it's not going to be shooting uh, 4K video, for example. It's just going to be 2K video. So that moments capture, it, it's going to be capable of it, but not kind of at the same resolution as the 930 yeah. or 1520. So we probably do have to wait for those devices to judge it fully. But um, it, I, I, I said no more camera stuff. I just want to sort of uh, say one more time about the 830, another bit of praise for the camera. The fact that um, it can actually be compared with things like the 930 and the 1520, which at its original price was flagship as well as the iPhone 6 Plus, is just a testament to how good the camera software and the camera hardware is in that device. And I've seen a bit more coverage of the 830, seen a couple of them out in the wild and been really, really impressed by that. So I want to talk a bit more about that once I've had a chance to try it out myself. But um, if you're looking you know, at a mid-tier device, the 830 really is the mid-tier imaging king at the moment. Yeah. Now, on to other matters. You mentioned branding. And indeed, if I look at the app list on my Windows phones at the moment, Rafe, I used to have a whole burgeoning section under N and grid. I've now got a huge section under L and the N is looking rather neglected. And that's because all the apps starting with Nokia are now basically all Lumia. And today we had news that uh, 
and updates appearing in the store Lumia Creative Studio, Lumia Panorama, Lumia Storyteller, and Lumia Cinemagraph. So it's kind of a kind of a bit cumbersome, Rafe, having to rename all these apps, most of which don't actually get any functionality updates. But at the same time, we're entering that period where Microsoft wants to stamp its own branding on its own applications, which it now owns the rights to. So I guess why not? Yeah, I mean, it's about consistency, isn't it? And moving everything up to letters kind of makes sense. We're seeing the same thing happen on all their social media channels. So um, the various Nokia names are being switched over to Lumia or some combination of Lumia and Microsoft. Um, it's happening across Facebook, Twitter, as well as uh, Flickr and then some of the uh, other maybe less uh, less popular social media channels but it's also happening in the international social media channels as well um it, part, part of me is of course sad about this but uh, it would be terribly confusing if you had you know different websites referring to different things and uh you know it, it's kind of interesting to me that this has switched over to the lumia something naming which makes sense um especially when you consider actually the devices themselves are having more of the microsoft branding on them maybe a slightly disconnect there but i think what's probably important to pull out here is all of these lumia software experiences are essentially exclusive to the microsoft devices and so it's quite a nice way of pulling that out and especially with other windows phone manufacturers out there um initially mainly at the lower end of the market it sort of is a way to kind of distinguish between them and just as in the uh, nokia era there are quite a few bits of software that make a big difference to how useful or you know the sort of things you can do with your device and it's just worth a reminder because um HTC with its M8, that's the Windows Phone version of their, their kind of Android flagship, is coming on to AT&T in the next week or so. It's also going to be on T-Mobile before Christmas. Um, and that's a device which uh, is high-end. It's a really nice device, really nice piece of hardware and design. But you could quite easily argue that you're losing out a bit because you're not getting all this uh, software, be it Nokia branded or Lumia branded. And uh, so it's an important factor when you're thinking about which Windows Phone device you might want to buy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, I mentioned there was, and you mentioned actually at the start of the podcast, was Lumia Cinemagraph. And I have to confess, Rafe, this is a utility that always seemed a tiny bit gimmicky. I've never got round to trying it. But as I understand it, the idea is you take a, a very short burst of photographs with something moving, ideally a, you know, a fireplace, a tap dripping, a, a rabbit hopping or whatever, but with most of the scenes staying still. Um, and then you use the utility to just frame the tiny bit of the image that you think you want to move and the rest of it stays stock still. Have I kind of got that right? Because apparently there are changes in terms of the way you're now going to be sharing it after in 2015 and beyond. I, I haven't looked at the new version of this, but yes, I mean, it's essentially a way of capturing animated gifs or an animated photo on your phone rather than capturing a, a video it will capture depending on the device you'll have up to i think it's about 30 frames and it will then animate those and loop them through them the idea is you kind of the, the very best cinematographs in my opinion at least are the ones that loop and so you get a kind of never-ending animation that loops and look, looks nice and you know animated gifs are one of those things that i guess have become an established part of internet culture and being able to capture and create that sort of thing on your phone yeah i, I i'm inclined to agree with you it does feel a bit gimmicky but some of the um the, the processing that's going on there in terms of it's actually looking at each of those frames and seeing what's changed and so that kind of um, yeah. frame alignment analysis is actually a pretty sophisticated bit of uh, processing in order to create these cinemagraphs and it was one of the first things that came out of uh, the uh, Lund imaging offices over in Sweden um, and sort of was one of those kind of flagship or one of those standout experiences on the devices. I, I'm kind of glad that there's been more of a focus on 
interesting you know native to the camera experiences uh, that we're getting in kind of the, this next generation and it's not that i don't like things like cinemagraph or refocus but with all of them you kind of have to make a decision i'm going to capture this before i take the photo and that, uh, to me at least that reduces the utility of it simply because you know you're kind of having to make a decision and so cinemagraphs do tend to be not artificially created but you have to you know, sit and wait patiently until the cat's doing the right thing or decide that you're going to capture something and sort of then train your cat to sort of run around in a <laughs> circle or whatever it happens to be. But yes, um, one of the things that is, 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 I understand being improved is the sharing process. Originally, it was just sort of a, a custom format and um, then it was sort of the ability to export as an animated GIF and sort of that's coming to improve some of that so that when you're sharing it onto social media, which honestly for that kind of creation makes absolute sense. It's not something, yeah, sure, it's great to look at on your phone, but it's not something you'll be printing out. It is something that you kind of put onto your yeah. social media feed and so it, it's good to see that that's continuing to be updated yes and the specific details that the in previous versions of cinemagraph um the the sharing was encouraged by memories.nokia.com which for obvious reasons and branding reasons is going to have to change so basically they uh, changed it so you just export um, as animated gif or similar and then you can share directly on your own social networks oh, and i think the social networks themselves are very used to receiving animated gifs now right yeah well that's that's sort of something that's coming and I, I want to say relatively recently but time was when you know you'd share an animated gif onto facebook and it wouldn't do anything it wouldn't sort of go through the animation um but i, I understand that that's been updated i mean the whole animated gif movement uh, i guess it was something that kind of exploded out of tumblr and um that kind of social sharing uh, and i can I'm, I'm old enough to remember when animated gifs were kind of the bane of the internet with the dog yapping and jumping across the screen or at least it felt like that or under construction gifs uh, plastered all over personal <laughs> <Yeah>. websites <laughs> um, which sort of was a, a way to make your eyes roll but uh it's kind of come full circle now and there's a certain irony in using animated gifs in uh, comet threads and, and things like that and obviously it's a big part of um certain i think we'd say uh, web communities and so yeah it's it's a nice thing to have and um i guess we should be saying animated gif in a way but uh, it's always been a gif for me no 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 it's gif it's gif <laughs> the word all the words like graphics result graphics which is the first um word in the acronym starts with a g hard g so it's gif i'm sorry the americans are wrong <laughs> anyway, I'm going to reintroduce the Blink tag tool about Windows Phone. You watch. Oh, no, please. Mercy. <laughs> um, Cortana is something that's also changing a lot at the moment. Um, obviously, Microsoft are rolling it out in alpha across different regions. And I, I notice even from week to week, Rafe, that the number of things it can recognize does seem to change. For example, um, things like, I've been pleasantly surprised, um, I can say, what's Bitcoin's value today? Or uh, what's the value of Microsoft stock? Or what is... 5.6 times the square root of 7. What's the square root of minus 1, which actually gets right? <laughs> I. Um, uh, wake me up at 6 a.m. All the sort of things you want a voice assistant to do, Cortana now does really well. There are some things, some really oddball things like, what does the fox say? I've been trying, which is the Ilvis novelty hit, which in America gives you the full lyrics. Um, flip a coin or roll a dice, which is actually really useful if you're playing a board game with someone. You can use your phone. You can just do it via voice. That works in America. And it did work in the UK for about a week, and then it stopped working. So there are clearly um, major server-side things being turned on, turned off, experimented with. I've got a whole long list of about 30 really useful things you can do with Cortana, and about a third of them still don't work. So at the moment, those last third work 
Rafe, I'm going to put up the full list and then hopefully we can declare that Cortana at least has arrived in the UK for people on the Windows Phone 8.1 update one. And I guess as, as denim arrives, maybe that's the, the signal for the full Cortana, Cortana rollout. And obviously um, people have been spotting uh, Cortana um, responses um, on some international handsets in France, Italy and Germany, for example. So it's a pretty, pretty certain bet that Cortana will roll out an alpha for those regions and those countries as well. So all, all things going well for Cortana. Yeah, it, it is. And as you say, the kind of rollout is gathering pace a little bit. I mean, uh, Microsoft hasn't been absolutely specific, but they have said that more countries will be getting it with Lumia Denim. And actually, of course, the other thing that's coming with Lumia Denim is the voice activation, um, the kind of the always on listening. That does depend on the phone you get because obviously it needs hardware support. Uh, it's something that I guess we first saw in the Moto X, although yeah. going right back, I think it's to the Sony Ericsson Pay 100. I want to say it was one of those Symbian devices had the magic word that you could say that would wake up the kind of the voice recognition and did basic voice features on those phones. So I can remember calling my uh, P800 Pamela, I think it was, because that was the code name of the product, <laughs> and saying Pamela and then dial a number. Now, I have to admit that uh, Cortana's significantly more reliable, as in as is kind of uh, Google Now and the equivalent voice functionality there and Siri on iOS. But I've been pleasantly surprised by that. I've actually used Cortana voice far more than I thought I would. Uh, I'm still pretty wary being a typical Brit, I guess, about wearing it, uh, about, about using it in public situations because you feel like there's some kind of uh, societal block about talking to your phone in public. I, I wonder whether that will go away and especially amongst you know maybe certain age groups. We'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, but I am looking forward to the fact I'll be able to leave my phone lying across the, the room and say, hey, Cortana, and it will wake up and you know ask for input. You can do a text message or it's actually really for things like a note to remind you to do something or set an alarm or you know just that quick search or calculation, you know, what's the weather's going to be like. Um, but as you say, there's the, the way this works is there's a whole bunch of server-side configuration and it's sort of um, there's natural language processing that means you can talk it to it normally talk it talk to it as a question and then have a conversation with it um so those bits get switched on and off and there was recently in the uk a kind of a star trek promotion competition i think it was related to a big uh, star trek convention that was happening here in london and so if you uh, ask Cortana in the uk and it may well be in other markets as well to uh, beam me up she'll say aa captain um and if you're bored you can ask Cortana to tell you a joke and there's you know, various other bits, as you say, Steve, it seems to come and go. It'll be interesting to see how Microsoft handles that in terms of letting people know about features because it's quite difficult to discover them. And, of course, you try it once and it doesn't work and you might sort of forget about it. But um, it is getting more and more sophisticated. And I, I really like the, the time with this. And it's also interesting that Microsoft banned the kind of the wearable that Microsoft announced last week also ties in with Cortana. So it's clearly becoming a kind of a, a key selling point for uh, Microsoft and for Windows Phone. And to that end, uh, I noticed when I was traveling on the train the other day, there was an advert from EE. And it was kind of two things caught my eye. And it was... Um, choose your Windows phone and you'll just pay $14.99, it's £15, I guess about $20 or so, or so €18 Euros for your monthly service. And then you can have a, a, a 6.30 for free. You can have a 7.35 for $49.95 and an 8.30, I think it was, for £99. It was kind of a real wake up to Lumia being in the mid-turn. I think anyone in the US is probably jaw-dropping at those device, those device prices um, and the, the contract price in particular. I would just say that um, 
that's with 500 megabytes of data, sort of something like a thousand minutes and a couple of thousand text messages. So for some people, it would be sufficient. But also front and center in that was Cortana being called out as something that you got with these devices. Would you kind of, there's been a couple of adverts like that now. So actually, Corner has become kind of one of the key points in the marketing campaign for some of these more recent devices. Uh, but it, it was interesting to see that advertised, you know, on mid-tier devices, you know, very much in the, the mainstream. Um, just as an anecdote aside, I think for mid-tier will only apply in some countries. You can go and get the 830 now on AT&T in the States, but it'll cost you $99. He said, oh, that's, that's not a bad price, but there's going to be a lot of high-end smartphones available for $99 as well, not least some of the, the higher-ups on the, the Lumia lineup. And so actually it's a good example of why the mid-tier uh, phenomenon that we're starting to see in the rest of the world, I think is largely going to pass the US by, um, unless of course you're buying sim free in which case different set of calculations but pretty amazing deal that you can get something like the 830 for you know 20 dollars 15 pounds 18 euros a month and then just pay 99 pounds which is about 140 dollars or so up front um, with cortana being one of the key selling points now what people don't realize necessarily is that cortana relies on the internet there is virtually no voice recognition um, built into Windows Phone. It's it, it actually relying on the server-side recognition. So I haven't actually catalogued how much data Cortana uses, but I would have thought if you've got just 500 megabytes a month and you use Cortana quite a lot, you could conceivably get through an awful lot of your data allowance just doing voice stuff, which you might not think was included. So what I'd like to see operators do is to actually track which is Cortana usage and have that as a part of a free allowance so that your actual data they quote is actually for you know genuine data use using web browsing and email and so on. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting idea because operators are certainly capable of distinguishing the different types of data. So you'll sometimes see they'll zero rate certain data going through their network. And it's certainly be possible for them to do so. I would say that Cortana actually uses relatively small amounts of data because what happens is that it will record the audio, but then it will do some processing on the phone before sending it up to the server. So it's not uploading a, a kind of a full high fidelity voice stream. And obviously the stuff that comes back down is pretty small in size. It's mainly just text that then uses the text to speech engine on the phone to get read back. I mean, as yeah. Steve said, any of those Cortana queries um, that require information for the web, of course they get sent off. The ones that are around sort of remind me to do something or set an alarm or start an application, they will work offline, but kind of the more conversation and, and the bits that really sort of make you go, wow, that's pretty clever. Yeah, the, the smart queries that return kind of uh, one word answers or a, a, sort of a small diagram or something like that. Obviously, yes, that does need data. Um, the, the other thing, of course, about Cortana is it, it ties very smoothly into the general search, you know, Bing search. In fact, you know, on these devices, it re does replace Bing search effectively. But I actually really like that because, you know, if Cortana is capable of giving, if you like, an intelligent um, Cortana-led answer, it will do so. But if not, it will just fall back onto a normal web search. And I, th I think that's particularly effective implementation. Yeah, I do actually rail against um, network providers specifying contracts with, for example, just 250 megabytes of data per month or 500. I know these are norm mobs. They're not doing some of the geeky things we're doing, but that's, that's actually more reason why they might transgress and go over. And by default, nearly all of these contracts just allow you to go over and then they charge you swinging overage charges. I mean, absolutely massive. You can talk, we're talking of maybe a hundred pounds overage just for going an extra one gig over. It's absolutely ridiculous. What I'd like to see is um, the default to be, say, one gigabyte, which is not that much in this day and age. 
and also to have uh, the default being that they cut people off when they hit that one gig and they have to request the, the facility to, okay, if I go over, I go over, I'll pay for it, I know. That's what I'd like to see. I, I have to stand up for some of the operators, and it does depend on which one you're on, which country you're on. They'll actually text you to let you know how much of your uh, allowance you've got left, and some of them will actually, rather than cut you off altogether, will just slow it down to 2G speeds, which is actually pretty unbearable if it ever happens. <laughs> and, you know, you, you will want to, to upgrade. Uh, I think it's also probably worth saying not everyone's um, sort of, Stephen, using gigabytes and gigabytes of data on their on their, their phone. And so in some cases, it's actually perfectly justifiable to have 500 megs. Uh, I, I would agree with you, 250 megs is probably cutting it a little bit fine, especially when you're selling a 4G handset. It's very yeah. easy to crunch through a lot of data without especially really with realizing it. Um, absolutely, on things <laughs> like Facebook, or even if you've just set apps to automatically uh, download. So you have to watch those kind of background settings as well. Um, I mean, speaking personally, I get through, I think about um, two, two gigabytes or so of cellular data on a monthly basis, and an awful lot um, gets offloaded to Wi-Fi. But that's a deliberate decision that I've made in terms of some of the settings. And so things like photo updates or podcast downloading in the background only happen over Wi-Fi when the when the phone's plugged into kind of an overnight thing but certainly it would be it's not unrealistic to for, for someone who's okay maybe a, a power user or, or someone who's using their phone a lot if they you know reverse those settings and do everything through cellular i i can quite easily see people going up to five gigabytes of usage without trying terribly hard <laughs> yeah I, famously one of my um friends in this area who's um, been on some of my podcasts uh, trevor bennett he he was once decided to see how far he could push three and see if they'd complain. He got up to 125 gigabytes wow. in a month. <laughs> I'm not I sure start- I use that through broadband, never mind cellular. Yeah, and I just I'm glad I wasn't on the same cell tower as him. Anyway, um, just 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 one last data point on this. I mean, my daughter's a perfectly average teenager, fifteen, sixteen, and she gets through around about three to four gigabytes a month. And and that she's 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 a normal, but she's a teenager. I have to imagine there are lots of other teenagers who just they they want to use streaming media, they want to use Spotify, they want to use a bit of YouTube here and there, and they do this on a daily basis, and it all adds up. So I just Absolutely. think they should uh, allow allow for more data. It's the streaming media that really kills it. Watching things like YouTube or Netflix, and even to a certain extent audio as well. Yeah. You know, it's it's quite easy to go through a couple of hundred megabytes in a session without even really blinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one very last topic before we finish this podcast. Um, <laughs> this continual battle in my mind. Do I use, use the Lumia 830 or the Lumia 1020? I like both devices. The 1020 obviously has a special place in my heart. The 830 can technically do more. And I did this whole feature about the number of things that 830 could do that the 1020 couldn't. But this actually, apart from the camera, which is a separate issue, there's this one extra factor, and I did a whole feature on it called AMOLED and the Glance Night Shift, pointing out that the Glance implemented on the 830 is great, great, it's got Glance, well done to Nokia, well done to Microsoft, but Glance on LCD isn't that great an experience at night, and I don't know whether you've actually experienced this, Rafe, but uh, on an LCD screened phone at night, the backlight glow, which admittedly is, is, is only about 5% of the backlight's power, but it's still enough to really reduce the contrast. It lights the entire room up to an extent, and it makes it much harder to read the text on the, and the numbers on the screen. So I was just flying a flag there for AMOLED and saying that the as on the Lumia 925, of course, and on the 1020, um, and 928 and a few others beside. Um, the, the glance just works so much better, especially in that vital 2 a.m., 3 a.m. scenario. Yeah, I, I do have to agree with you on this one. It's just the fact that you've got the backlight on um, is a bit of an irritation. Now, in all honesty, I 
I don't find this a, a showstopper because I can still read it. Actually, the bigger problem I have is when I, the phone is far enough away when I put it on the other side of the bedside table because I'm not wearing glasses. I can't actually see it. So I have to so crane over my neck and sort of try and be able to see it. And, and it doesn't matter whether it's AMOLED or LCD in that particular instance. But uh, glass screen and that kind of the, that night usage is actually something uh, I think is absolutely great because it's the ability to you know, be able to see the time. And also, if you're expecting anything in terms of calendar or email, you can also have a quick look at that. Um, and so, yeah, I think you probably do have to give a, a, a shout out to AMOLED. I mean, we did say last time round that we uh, probably now pr- would recommend an LCD device. I mean, that I think that actually one of the points here is that you'll be able to find evidence on both sides. And it's pretty much true of every smartphone technology <laughs> that, you know, when there is a choice, there's usually a compromise between the two. And very often we talk about the cost factor, but sometimes it is just a pure, you know, technology, a, a straight choice between having one thing or the other. And, you know, you might talk about Xenon Flash and LED Flash. And, yeah. um, Steve will always go for uh, the Xenon Flash because that's what he likes. But then I'll go, but I need to be able to use a torch to unlock the door in the dark. Ah, but all the Xenon Flash um, phones, like the 808 and 1020, have LED as well, Ray. Uh, see, I knew, I knew you were going to come <laughs> back with that. I, I knew, but it's not quite as strong at LED. So uh, I have oh, to... Come I have to <laughs> okay, that's stretching a little bit. I was desperately trying to think of another example, but I thought... Well, think things like uh, sealed batteries versus... Um, replaceable batteries is a good one there are absolute pros and cons for each and you could either argue for either one until the cows come home yeah and uh, another one that i've seen recently and had a debate about some with and i won't quite say an argument although it was was the uh, idea of a camera capture button and i I really really dislike devices that don't have camera capture buttons i don't like having to press the on-screen button i mean i always prefer it maybe that's a legacy of having used a sort of uh, standalone camera but i just find it offers greater flexibility and and more than anything else actually it's a startup of the camera rather than the actual capture process itself Uh, but again that that that's a kind of a subjective choice and Obviously, it's one more thing that goes wrong. It does add a bit of cost and it can kind of ruin the design lines. Um, but for me, a, a camera capture button is absolutely essential. So, uh, and absolutely the sealed batteries or the uh, micro SD versus internal memory, all that kind of thing is, is, uh, you know, is yeah. part of that debate that you'll have to have with yourself when it t- comes time to buy your next device. And don't get me started on capacitive controls versus virtual controls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we better start, Rafe. Um, it's been a, a, a shortish podcast, but um, we had uh, some plenty of good content, and it will be exactly a week, hopefully, until the very next one, which will be Absolutely. 117. So in the meantime, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.